the year was 1925. The place was Nome, Alaska. The problem was an outbreak of diphtheria. The gold rush had brought people from surrounding areas from everywhere around them to their area, hoping to strike it rich. But with this came this outbreak of diphtheria, with it came this disease, with it came a need for antitoxin, a need for medication to be able to treat these people. The doctor in the town was, was, was just one doctor, one hospital, 25 beds. He had a few nurses that helped him along the way. The first few, the first case that came in of diphtheria, he actually first had, had said that it was a case of tonsillitis. But then the symptoms started to show up more and more, and then people started to die from this. The problem was the fact that it was becoming winter. It was coming deep into the winter time, and and snow, and wind, and and, and temperatures was was not allowing planes to fly in and out, was not allowing ships to be able to travel because of ice. They had a real problem. They had a real problem outbreaking in them, in the community. The community was a small community. The town itself had only about 2,000 people in it. The surrounding valley area had about 10,000 people in it. And he was concerned that if this continued on, it could have a, a, rate, a mortality rate of 100%. There was an emergency town council meeting as this started to happen, and, and, and the town implemented an, uh, an immediate quarantine. Temperatures of in, in the area was negative 50 with strong winds that was creating 10-foot snow drifts. The only way to bring anti-serum to him was by dog sled. Dog sled. They decided to get some of the best dog sled drivers, best teams together to be able to travel a 674-mile trek to get anti-serum and bring it back. There was... 20 teams that was chosen to make this trek across the frozen tundra of Alaska. Temperatures would be from the point of negative 40 at times while the winds would make the windshield negative 80. They used an old mail route to come from one town to, to, to go get the serum and come back to Nome. There was parts of it they would have to be traveling across oceans. It's about a 42-mile stretch across the shifting ice of the Bering Sea. This was how the teams were going to travel to bring anti-serum in. I want you to think about this story. I want you to think about this and keep this in mind as we, as we look at the passage here in Acts chapter 3. Calling this sermon, Hope into a Broken Life. And I've broken this passage down into three kind of headings, three different headings that we see in this passage. The first one is is the wonder. The second part of this passage is the message. And then the third part is the promise. In Acts chapter 3, reading the first eight verses here, we're going to meet a guy that... Um, 
Peter and John are going to actually come up on. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting story, but I've really, really, I'm really trying to look at this not. I'm really trying to look at this in a practical way. How this can speak to us today. So let's take a look in Acts chapter three, verses one through eight. It says now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth. Did you catch that? A man lame from birth was being carried, whom they carried daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I want to stop right here and just just kind of look at these first eight first uh, eight verses in this passage. Let's talk about let's talk about the beggar for just a minute. Let's talk about the beggar for just a second here. The placement that this beggar was sitting was very key. He was in a very high traffic area, um, you might say. He was at a, he was at the gate where where people was coming into the temple, and he was there at a certain time too, to be able to receive alms. Here, here's the thing: a, a beggar, a beggar had to have people give to him for him to be able to survive. This was what this was before we had government programs and things to be able to help those that that are that are lame, that are that are that are are are, uh, are, are, in, are in desperate need. This was before any of that. This this guy relied on this for his well-being. He was placed here at the gate of the temple, so he saw people come into the temple and come out. He was placed there at the time when the people would be coming for the time of prayer. The thing about this beggar, Scripture tells us, that he was lame from birth. He lived with this condition forever. That's all he knew. There's an aspect of this, too, that we don't always really focus on, is that he was being carried daily. He had some friends that carried him daily, every day, to the, to the, to the gate of the temple. Every day they, they put aside their own needs, their own desires, and they carried him to the temple. Now, here's the thing, too, we need to understand, that giving money to beggars was considered praiseworthy in Jewish religion. In our culture, we really we really find it hard to understand the life of a beggar. See, it was the kindness of the people who would actually keep the beggar alive. With all of this being said, we can assume that the beggar sitting here, that the beggar that Peter and John encountered in this story, would have been very vocal. He would have been reaching out to people, 
trying to get their attention, trying to make sure that they saw him. And I think that's what people many times are trying to do. Do people see me? See, here's, here's, here's the thing. We, we run into people like this maybe even every day. People holding up a sign on a street corner saying they're out of work and they need help. People that are, that are sitting by the doors of a convenience store saying that any, any spare change. Peter and John walk up on this guy. Let's talk about Peter and John for just a minute. They were, they were going to the temple. They had a purpose for what they was doing. This would have been a distraction possibly for them. question I ask myself many times and this is this is even something I pray God let me be disturbed let me be distracted because distraction can bring a miracle the beggar asks for some spare change anything will help please I'm desperate But here's the thing to think about. It was good for the beggar that Peter and John didn't have any silver or gold. If they did, they may have met his need in that way. But what they had to offer was of greater value. Rather than just a temporary fix, something that would help for just a short time, the man was given a permanent remedy for his physical and for his spiritual problems. The man's feet and ankles, which had never been able to hold up the man's weight, was strengthened. And the man not only began walking, but soon he was leaping and he was praising God. There was, there was no doubt to the people around this guy that, that saw him come leaping and, and jumping and praising God in the temple. There was no doubt whom the beggar thought should be given credit for the miracle. See, Christ had, had commissioned them to preach the good news to all the earth in Matthew chapter 28. The apostles had his authority. The supernatural signs drew people to the Savior. See, Peter and John walked through life looking for opportunities. They were okay with being distracted knowing that it was a way to be able to see God do something great. And what I, what I see in our culture today is that we want to see the supernatural. We want to see something happen. See, we as a church need to speak both hope into a broken life, but also extend practical help. <coughs> The first thing that Peter and John did was they offered practical help. And then the miracle came. Then the supernatural happened. You see, they stopped. Many times we will, and I'm guilty of this, we will see a distraction. We'll see someone that is, is going to cause us to have to either ignore them or stop. We see the distraction. 
And a lot of times we may try to walk as far away or we may start talking to our spouse or our kids or whoever is with us at the time just to be able to avoid making eye contact. This is what Peter and John said. They said, look at us. Look at me. They got the man's attention and said, hey, this is something special here. They stopped what they was doing. They was, they was busy. They were going in for a time of prayer. They were looking for opportunities. See, when God does something amazing in an individual's life, he usually has a greater purpose in mind than just that individual benefit for that person. He wants to do something more, even more amazing through that individual. And because of our desire to see the supernatural, sometimes we overlook the practical help. It's possible to attend religious events while ignoring the needs that are right in front of us, the needs that are right under our nose. See, the church is planted in a specific neighborhood, in a specific community, or a specific region that is to meet the spiritual needs that are there. We come in contact with certain people every day. We, when we go to the bank, we, we, we see a, a certain teller. Or, or, or when we go to the convenience store to get fuel, we, we see a certain attendant there that's, that we can talk to, that we can minister to, that we can love on. We need to be looking for opportunities to share the gospel, to share the love of Jesus, to share the hope of Jesus. See, the passage before this story, the passage right before in Acts chapter 2, shows the saving of 3,000, the day of Pentecost. It's a tremendous, tremendous story. But the next chapter is focusing on one guy. Those who reach the persons also care about the one. We need to be willing to focus on the one. Because one life, one hope spoken into one life can radically shift not only that one life but that one life in generations generations to come see the miracle opened up a door for Peter to speak to the people the Jews had not expected a suffering messiah as this, as this beggar comes in and everybody recognized him as being that guy that sat by the gate. He's leaping and praising God. This opens up an opportunity for Peter to speak into those lives. Look at what verses 11 through 18 says. It says, While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together. They ran together. To them in the portico called Solomon's. 
And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power or piety, we made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over (coughs) and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. Through this we are witnesses. And by his name, and, and I'm sorry, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong. Whom you see and know, and, the, and that faith, and the, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did, as, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the, month, by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. We need to pause for just a minute and think about all the charges that Peter has made against his audience. First of all, I want to say that Peter is explaining, number one, that it's not too late for them. He's, he's, he's pulling these charges and saying, this. he's being very straight and, and, and pointing out, you guys did this. See, Peter and John had this chance right now to, to, to claim the credit for this miraculous healing of this man. But instead, they used it as an opportunity to talk about Jesus. They used it as an opportunity to reveal to them their sins. The, the apostles were merely chosen instruments for conveying the miracle. See, we can get so involved in our lives that we miss opportunities for God to use us and God to work through us. Many times it's because we're not willing to do the practical. Many times it's because we're not willing to do the small things, to reach out a hand, to speak a kind word, to give people hope. Jesus told us to go and to make disciples. And we get hung up on the word go. We think, well, where should I go? We think we need to go on this long excursion to be able to to make disciples. But the, the practical, the, the literal translation of that passage in Matthew 28 is as you go. Meaning, I don't need to make special arrangements to go and make disciples. Not that that's bad, but the practical side of it is as I go about my daily business, make disciples. As I go, start sowing seed into the community, into the lives of the people around me. My coworkers, my 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 fellow students, whatever the case may be for you, sow those seeds. As you go to work, make disciples. As you go fishing, make disciples. As you go to school, make disciples. The calling is for us to go. Then this passage has a promise. Listen to what it says in verse. Verses 19 and 20. 
Actually, I'm going to back up to verse 17. It says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Now, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. The promise. See, Peter said the first thing that needs to happen is you need to repent. To repent means to, to turn away from a life and toward a new way of life. He says, repent, that your sins may be blotted out. The word blotted means to erase, especially in writing. So, so your sins, the, the, the sins that your life has actually written down, those will be erased. See, Peter had pointed out to the people their sin. He didn't beat around the bush about it. He said that they had acted in ignorance, but that there was hope. What people today are wanting to hear is that, is there any hope out there? What's going on in our world today with this outbreak? People are wanting to know, is there any hope? People are scared right now. And they're saying, is there any hope? And we, as Christians, we have the hope for the world living inside of us. We have that hope here that we need to be releasing into the world. Peter told them, hey, you guys did all these things. And man, he is, he, we can look at this and go, honestly, I look at this and go, if, if, if these guys, if, if, if these guys that turned Jesus over, that, that had him crucified, if these guys had hope, there's hope for anybody. See, in light of these serious charges, there's hope for these people. There's hope for anyone in this world. The center of the, the passage about the glory of Christ and the gravity of sin, Peter offers this amazing gospel hope to everyone. There is a necessary thing here, though, and that's to repent. He says that there's hope if you turn from your sins. If you drop down to, to verse 26, he tells us here that God wants to bless you by turning, by turning each of you from your evil ways. I'm going to read it here. It says, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. See, the promise is twofold in this passage. Your sins will be blotted out as number one. And the second one is this, that times of refreshing may come. Thinking back to the introduction of this sermon today. There was 20 men that risked everything to save a community. 20 men invested their livelihoods and risked not only their lives, but also the lives of their dogs that were that they relied on every day to, to, to go to work, especially during during this time of year. They relied on them. They trained these dogs. 
They prepared these dogs. The dash of dog teams across the Alaskan wilderness to Nome inspired the annual the annual Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race. But I want to ask a question. What if these mushers would have just said, I will pray for them, but did nothing to help? Didn't they? What if they didn't do the practical? What if they didn't offer themselves and offer what they had to be able to save these people? On February 8th of 1925, Will Rogers said this, No, there is no gold. There is no purse for the winner. They didn't get a cent. These men sacrificed to save the most precious of human life, to save the child. What if the hope for a broken life rests in your hands and in my hands? What if God desires you to do more than just say a prayer? Not saying that praying is praying is the first thing we should do, but we need to be able to pray like what God has placed in us to be able to use as practical help to be able to use her and put out a hand and say, let me help you. What if he desires you and me to speak hope into a broken life. See, today, Jesus wants to rescue you. Maybe you're a believer, but you haven't put action to your faith. Maybe you've said to someone that you would pray for them, even though you may have had something that could have met their need. Jesus wants to rescue you from that. Maybe you're here today, and maybe you've cursed God. Jesus wants to rescue you from that and forgive you of your sins. There is hope. No matter how far gone you think you are, there is hope. These guys had crucified the Messiah, the hope of the world, and yet they were given the opportunity to repent and to be saved. There is hope for a broken life, and that means there is hope for everyone, no matter what. The calling is this. For those that are lost, the calling is to come to Jesus. For those that are saved, the calling is to go and be Jesus' hands and feet. 